Greetings and welcome to The Pure Report. I'm your host, Rob Ludeman, and it is time to bring the orange with one of our Flash Blade Solution Architect Specialist, Emily Watkins. Welcome howdy, to the program. Howdy, Thanks howdy. for having me. It has been a long time coming to get you on the program here. You were very uh, early on, you were, you were recommended as somebody I should get uh, to come speak. So I'm glad we finally roped you in here. Yeah, great to be here. I've been on the Flashplay team for a while. And so I have a lot of a lot of stories to share. I, I, we want to hear those stories. How long have you been like, do you go back to the early, early days? Yeah, of I go Flashplay? back to like, stealth mode. The incubation, yeah, stealth yeah, mode. Like, what was that like? Tell people, I don't know if everybody knows that. And we can talk about that, right? Can absolutely. Can we talk about those things yeah, publicly yeah. now about like what, what those early days were like? Yeah, yeah. We kind of treated the Flashblade second product like a startup within a startup. So we were in a whole separate building from the rest of the team. You know, internally, I think we were named like R&D Project. And, uh, you know, some people still had on their LinkedIn stealth startup, even though we were up here. Um, so then it was a great reveal at the, you know, the SKO where we finally yeah. got to show the rest of the company, the Flashblade. And um, so nobody even knew what the name of the product was. No. It was just, it was just generic R&D R&D team. Yeah. R&D team. Working yeah. separate, separate entity too, right? Wasn't it for financial yeah, purposes yeah. or something? Um, I, you know, I'm only here two years, so I don't go back to that whole historical thing. But it's fascinating how that how that worked out. I think that regardless of, you know, how we were setting it up yeah. behind the scenes, we definitely treated it like its own entity. Um, you know, we set up kind of a almost a board for it so that we could do our own reviews and really get in the mindset of, not just trying to copy paste the first product, sure. but really think about, you know, for this file and object space, how do we invent from the ground up here? Interesting. What was your role early on? You know, today you're solution architect. Were you still doing those types of things or were you more in no, engineering? No, I started like, in a different place. I okay. started out as program manager. So oh, right. I came in and they needed, they knew that they needed a little bit more process. Um, it took some, some very slow rollout of process because it was a group of engineers. You know, we didn't even have different software teams. Like now we have a software team like working on this feature. Yeah. And this feature, it was just, it was just group, yeah, it was just engineers. Yeah. Like these are these are the folks working. So you were kind of just keeping track of milestones and Gantt charting and all those Gantt charting and up, yeah, kind of love those yeah. Gantt charts, right? So I looked across <laughs> hardware and software, kind of tried to make sure the two trains lined up on time. Okay. Um, the world of new product introduction in hardware is so crazy. There's so much creativity, and yeah. um, I knew a little bit about the software side, but but getting to see all the cool creative things that go into designing a new hardware product was amazing. Yeah. Is your background in hardware? Have you always been, I mean, fr from an engineering side or how, how did you evolve into that space? Oddly, my background is more of what I'm doing now. It's kind of oh, on the data science side. Okay. And so um, when I moved out to the Bay Area from Madison, Wisconsin, all random right. place to, random place. Yeah. yeah, I worked at Epic before, which is oh, right on. kind of coming full mm -hmm. circle because that's a big pure customer. It is a very good use case. Or yeah. use case, yeah. sorry. Yeah. 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 Um, so I came out and, and just wanted to, to learn a lot. And um, I do that by asking questions. So program managers get in there and, and grill people about, you know, what is this and what is this part and what do you need and do you need to talk to that team? And so I would go to every single team meeting and, and learn about every team. And learn about every team. Right. Okay. So your, your data background and eventually you've evolved to where you are. I keep using evolved, but um, that's, that's kind of my, that's that's my word du jour today. I've, All I've right. decided that's, that's what I'm going. 
Um, so now you, you look after the solution space. What, what's the area that you're focusing on most relative to, because you know, there's different use cases, right? We're doing some cool stuff with ransomware and we do data protection. But I think the one area that has that really big potential and that people love talking about is where you're in analytics side, right? Yes, and yes. And even more artificial intelligence. Yes, yeah. I specifically focus on AI. Okay. And like you said, it is a very hot topic. A lot of people want to talk about it. And um, it's been great getting to see the whole spectrum of you know people who are first getting into it and they want to learn more versus we have some some customers we interact with that are so deep into how do we productionize this and scale it and they're running into to problems several years down the line that we get to take those learnings and then kind of share them with the people just starting so it's a really fun space to be in is it really true that every enterprise out there is embarking on some type of AI project, right? That, that, that the future that you read about in, in the magazines and the articles, that everybody's doing something regardless of what business it, or is that kind of overhyped? Are you asking me if the space I work in is legit or not? No, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. No, yeah, a there's, a lot, hype. A, lot, right? there's, there's a, a lot of hype. There's a lot of hype. There's a lot that's out there. Oh, so, I know. I know. Like, what's I real and what's not real? I totally understand right? where you're coming from. I totally understand AI, as I like to say, is very buzzwordy. Like it is, it is a it is a fun topic. Um, it's very eye catching. But I do think that honestly, um, and it's quite surprising to a lot of people. I think that a lot of enterprises are really starting to start turning their gears on getting more out of their data. You know, whether that's aiming for AI, but starting with some simpler analytics. You know, kind of starting to line up their projects and teams and infrastructure towards supporting AI. Um, and some are actually already doing AI. So I feel really hopeful, actually, about the scope of it. Yeah. Well, I think all the reports suggest that, that what, unstructured data growth is growing at, you know, some crazy, you know, 50% per year, or maybe even yeah. higher. Yeah. Right. But you mentioned something interesting that strikes a chord when I had, I had Farhan on to do um, a pod, like, four or five weeks ago, talking about Pure One and all the data that we capture there and all that interesting things. But he echoed what you just said, which was um, one of his areas of guidance was, don't try... Uh, don't try to launch to the moon right away. Take on like small, you know, get small wins and small Absolutely. projects first and then again work towards something greater. Is that kind of the case when you work with a lot of these customers, although it sounds like some are very deep into it as well. No, absolutely. That's yeah. that's a great point. And it also um, can really make or break AI programs at a company, you know, choosing a good first project that's really manageable mm -hmm. and, you know, aligns with kind of what their data contains, how it looks like, what they can do with it. Um, so, so it's a hard problem kind of choosing those first steps. Yeah, yeah. What other problems are, are these enterprises facing, right? De depending on their level of maturity in this space, we hear about, you know, unstructured data being pushed out into silos and that data scientists yeah. can't access it. I yeah. mean, I assume those are legit things, but yeah. what else are we missing? What other things are you hearing about or expand on those? Yeah, definitely, definitely. So one of the first ones that people run into is that, you know, say that they're already in the phase where they're committed to AI, they know they want to do it. They know they want to invest, you know, getting some some people or training some of their people and investing in infrastructure. So they look into buying the compute side of it. Yeah. They buy some GPUs. They go to, you know, one of the, the GPU vendors and they might either get, get some GPUs in the cloud or on-prem. And quickly they might find that they need some powerful storage to be able to read their data mm. quickly and be able to push it through the GPUs. So these GPUs are very high-density compute, very high-throughput themselves. So if you're reading from something with a very small data stream, you're not making use of this yeah. expensive GPU hardware. Of course. So kind of that's kind of that's like the table stakes for where we see the on-prem storage playing in AI right now is that the storage needs to be fast enough to keep the GPUs fed. 
I don't want to see GPU wasted time, you know, underutilized GPUs because it's waiting for data load. It's kind of like, a, okay, it's a classic bottleneck. So I'm an old CPU head, right? Mm -hmm. Except not, you know, pre predating the GPU thing. But, you know, we, the company I used to work for, we made some of the first multi-core, multi-thread processors, right? Where you're handling yeah. different threads of execution that are going yeah. on. And what we were trying to do was get around that wait problem, right? Yeah. Where you're just waiting for data to return so that you can do something with it and CPUs are just sitting there idle. Yeah. So this sounds very analogous yeah. to that where you have, although here the cost for the GPU is probably way more than, you know, industry standard x86 processors. Yeah, it really depends on on how committed an org is to, to making it work, whether they do... Um, lean into that investment. Yeah. Um, if they're training around the clock, maybe, you know, as you say, so expensive turns into a reasonable price, you know, for that constant, constant use of them, of scale, right? Exactly. Sure, sure. Exactly. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's, is a pipeline that needs to be balanced all the way across. Just because one piece is very high throughput, you have to look at the rest of the pipeline as well to make sure it can support that. So I'll give you a funny example. Yeah. Yeah. So we're talking about the storage piece, the compute piece, they have to be high throughput. Of course, you've got to have some great enterprise-grade networking in there. Then each each little area where you know your data is flowing through in part of this magic black box training job, even the tiniest pieces can really slow it down. Hmm. So, for example, we were working with a customer at scale where they had to list all of the files in their training data set. So they wanted to shuffle their data which helps for this black box of training. Yeah, yeah. And to shuffle, you have to know what is in your list. So you have to list the contents so you know what you have to shuffle. And the listing of, let's say, a billion files can take quite a long time. Yeah, a little bit of time. Yeah, so even, can that. you imagine, <laughs> you've got these whiz-bang data scientists right. waiting for an LS to complete yeah. in every single training job. So, so all the way across the pipeline, you have to look at making sure that there's parallelism there. Okay. And that's kind of where Flashblade comes in. I mean, that's yes. A nice, yes. It's a nice segue without hitting people directly over the head. But, you know, when you go back to what we were talking about, where you were looking at, you know, how do we conceive this product? You know, what are the things that we're seeing now as well as out in the future where we can handle the challenges with, you know, massive amounts of files or massive objects or massive unstructured data? But you have to have the right architecture to do it. Yes. Um, do, you, do we find that, and are you, I, I want to go back to the compute things. I'm curious about that. Be because it's um, more sexy, I'll go ahead and use that word. Do we find that in many cases enterprises maybe over rotate to the, the compute side and uh, underestimate the needs on on the data management side? Is that is absolutely? That a How did you, you guess think? that? I don't know. Yes. Just you know, just yes. again calling back there's... to my old old guy, <laughs> you know, server database stuff. Right? Yeah, well, you're right that there's there's kind of this tendency to almost um, like. DIY, like mm. do it yourself for the storage side, like whatever we can put in place to support the compute. But then, you know, oftentimes people are looking at FlashBlade um, to, to be kind of like the V2 storage because they're V1, whatever they put together themselves, um, often local direct attached storage right, right. is falling over. Like it's between them and their jobs. They want to care about data science and not care about infrastructure. Yeah. So... It's definitely great to bring something in like Flashblade that can really simplify everything for them. And that's something we really do well with storage here, you know, not just on Flashblade, but Flash Array and even Flash, you know, we can just just help people not worry. Uh, uh, another colleague here says, we, you know, we help people take storage for granted. That's kind of yeah. his, you know, his view yeah. on it, right? You know, you don't have to worry about all those things. Yeah. I uh, like to joke that I am a data scientist. I mean, I... I don't know anything about storage, yeah. but I manage, well, I work here, so I know a little bit, but um, I manage my own Flashblade just because it's my test bed and it doesn't need a lot of management. Yeah. So yeah. 
I, I can do it, you guys, so anybody can. I'm not a storage engineer, but I play one on TV, right? Yeah. So something like that, the old commercials that we used to have. Um, what are you working on currently? There's some some really interesting things that you're doing. We have this concept of uh, of a data hub, which you know has a little bit of marketing story to it, but yeah. really in practicality, when I've started to see some of the use cases come in and the ways that... that yeah. um, you know, look, users will use your product as they see fit, regardless of what you tell them they want to do. And it and it, it ends up looking really interesting when you look at some of the examples of folks that have just taken three or four, you know, data warehousing and, you know, different applications, and they all kind of live on this one um, system. So you're, but you're working on, on taking this data hub concept and really making it practical and making it practical around AI. Yes. Yes, I am. So I, I agree that, um, yeah, I'm trying to make the, the term data hub and AI data hub a little bit less nebulous. Yeah. I'm trying to put a concrete example around the ways that that FlashBlade can really keep simplifying more and more pieces of the AI ecosystem at a customer. So this data, data hub concept is just the idea that FlashBlade is great at so many different workloads, right? It's great at different IO patterns. You know, we're not tuned for large smile, smile. <laughs> we're tuned for a large smile. We always have large smiles around. <laughs> we're going to keep that in, by the way. We're not editing that <laughs> Okay, out. fine. You're going to have to have large smiles because that's our culture. Yep. End of story. <laughs> um, and so anyway, we're great at, you know, reading both small files and large files um, and great at different access patterns as well. You know, streaming and batch workloads. So FlashBlade as a data hub is great at, you know, put multiple workloads on this. You don't have to buy a different storage product for each of your applications. Just put them all on FlashBlade. And so we tried to extend that, you know, that concept a little bit further into the AI space and talk about an AI platform at a company. Mm -hmm. right. And this platform, you want to be able to productionize your AI code. So let's say that I hacked something together. Yeah, what does that mean? Right, yes. Right. So I hacked together a Python script okay. on my own computer. I said, great, give me a sample of the data. I'm going to hack together. I'm going to use TensorFlow or PyTorch, right. and I'm going to write a Python script. But this now is your, I can like predict. This is a DIY thing, right? Yeah. Though, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now I tested it. Look, I can predict hot dog, not hot dog. Yeah. Got it. So how do we push that into production? So you have to wrap it up somehow. And very commonly, it's common to try to push that into kind of a container world. Mm -hmm. And once you start thinking about supporting it in production, there are so many other components of this platform beyond just the training or inference scripts. So for example, when I'm doing training, I have to have my training data set, right? These, you know, you've heard of ImageNet or, you know, tons of log data or image data that they're training oh, yeah. on, building right, the right. model off of. Mm -hmm. Well, that's one thing you have to store. But as well, what about if I'm dockerizing the official term, dockerizing, dockerizing. this world? Hey, it's a verb, right? It's a verb. Yeah. Then I have to store the Docker images somewhere, of course, right? That, that's the thing you have to store and track. And as well, you know, um, what if there are message queues moving between the Docker images like Kafka? Well, then those have to have their data stored somewhere. And if I want to provide a, like an IDE or developer environments, maybe in the form of Jupyter Notebooks, that's mm -hmm. really common in data science, then those have to be persistent somewhere as well. Or you can optimize them to be. There's so many different elements. I right? know, it's, right? It's mul multiplicative, right? They just exactly. keep building on one another. Exactly. And when you look across, it's not just this hot tier of training data, right. but so many other components of the production AI platform require storage. So might as well put them all on one thing to simplify it. Yeah. Would would we get to calling this kind of a data pipeline in a way? I mean, would you would you categorize it that as yes. that? I mean, again, if we had to use another yes. kind of popular term that's out there, 
Yes. That's almost what I feel like you're describing here. Yes. And actually, my colleague who sits next to me, Bakash, he calls them assembly pipelines oh, because you can have multiple of them. Right. Like we shouldn't just think within this one AI platform, um, but rather, you know, I might have the AI one and, you know, we might have someone else doing some software dev pipeline or some log analysis pipeline. And maybe they want to share resources. Yeah, like they maybe should be interrelated, right? Yeah, maybe I want to have three Kubernetes clusters that all utilize the same Docker registry. Mm -hmm. And so that flexibility and thinking across the whole of what you're providing to all of your different types of developers is something that's great, great use case for Flashblade. Awesome. What about some of the tools that we're providing that uh, that help people do this much more easily? There's some things that we're doing in that space. Yes. Yes. So, so. Um, there's a couple things that are that are great part of that, you know, pure ethos of simplicity. Right, right. One of them is Pure Service Orchestrator. Uh -huh. Have you guys talked about it on the? Uh, yeah, well, a little while back, I had um, I had Shelfie and Raphael on to do kind awesome. of a, a PSO. Although Raphael loves Kubernetes, so I you know I kept having to pull him back, which is fine. Which yeah. you know, is totally great. But well, um, we did we did some PSO, but give a refresher because yeah, that yeah. episode's a little bit while a little ways back. I am now totally on the PSO bandwagon. I board. talk about it. Uh -huh. So a, I cannot be in an AI call now or conversation where I don't say PSO because it is it is a delight to use and so simple. So what it does is it enables you to seamlessly provision your storage and seamlessly, like automatically tie it up to the application that requested it. So for example, I talked about uh, developer environments. Maybe I'm hosting an environment like Jupyter as a service. So these notebooks are available for new users or my data scientists to run their code in. Well, when a new user comes and says, hey, can I have a persistent volume yeah. for my environment? Um, previously, he would have to go file a ticket with IT, wait for it back and forth, get it. Inefficient. A, a week later, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Now that just happens automatically behind the scenes, provision a persistent volume on Flashblade, and developer uh, is off and running. So this is true not only for you know developer requested persistent volumes, but as well, you can provision storage for any of these applications that you spin up and down inside of a Kubernetes cluster. Fantastic. And how are we doing with the awareness? We're getting this out. Folks are finally realizing the benefit, right, of what PSL can do for, you know, for stateless storage connectivity. Absolutely. Right, out there. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. PSO is supported for Flashblade and Flash Array. So it's great to be able to use it across the entire fleet that someone has. If they have both products just manage them all similarly. Absolutely. Um, what are some other things that you're working on? You showed me some. You sent me some some interesting videos of some work that you're doing. Yes. Really okay. Cool so I have two see. two really dorky nerdy stories to tell you about my research. <laughs> but this, this, we love dorky nerdy stuff on this okay. podcast. Yeah. Okay. Great. Okay. So <laughs> my first one. Um, so remember I talked about how if someone runs ls to yeah. list files mm -hmm. that can totally bring down a pipeline. Well. So we have a team here that worked on something called the Rapid File Toolkit. And what it does is parallelize LS. So we made a pure version of LS, PLS. PLS. Yes. And we have a pure version of a bunch of other things. We have pfind, a um, bunch of Unix commands. And what they do is they enable you to, to parallelize the RPCs coming back and to execute those Unix commands. So instead of maybe single-threaded mm -hmm. original LS, we could run with 32 so parallel scale, threads. It's a, it's a scaling mechanism, effectively. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So it's run on the client side. Um, so it's kind of interesting. Wherever you would have LS on okay. the client side, you could swap it for the P version of the tool. And um, don't laugh. It's the pure version of the tool. 
And um, so you could get a 50 to 100x speed up wow. from the Unix command. Okay, that's so significant. It's, it's huge. Yeah. Because yeah. like I said, in a training job, the shuffling doesn't happen at the end. It happens at the very beginning. Yeah. So I could wait 20 minutes before my job even starts that black magic of deep learning training because it's listing things for 20 minutes. So go get a cup of coffee and then come back. Yeah, I working. can't even get feedback about right. my project for 20 mm -hmm. minutes. So so integrating these peer tools into the ecosystem, into the developer's workflows is just a huge time saver. Um, and then the other project I want to tell you about yeah. is about looking at data formats. Okay. So traditionally, people have data sets. And if you can accept that premise. I can. <laughs> okay. Yes, I'm good with that. They have data sets and then they apply deep learning on top of them. But the format and structure you have for your data set is not necessarily optimal for deep learning training. So if I have, for example, I just did an investigation with a, an outside with a customer and they had their data stored in a file called HDF5. It's an HPC format, um, enables you to do this hierarchical um, data grouping, but they weren't using the hierarchy part. They just had kind of flat data. They just needed a key value store. Just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. So we just translated their data into this kind of flat file format, and they were able to get a 30x throughput improvement Huge. for their training. Huge. Yeah. So we just need to start asking the question of what format should I save my data in if I wanted to have optimal throughput? But this is great value add that you're, you know, that you and the rest of the team you're on are providing, right? Because I don't think that a lot of these folks are aware. There are ways they can get more efficiencies with what they're doing. And it goes beyond just, you know, providing a really cool scalable storage device. It's really having that other, that, that extra layer of knowledge, you know, on top of that, that, um, that's, that's where you come in. It's great to hear about. Yeah. I think it's great that we, we've had so many cool projects, uh, on the engineering side with customers across so many different verticals and applications. So I get to sit and look at so many use cases and and different phases of AI deployments. We need to have you come back and talk about some more of those use cases and other applications. I would say so. On a future episode. Because this say was so. super informative. And that's you. why I love doing this because I always I always learn something from these uh, from these episodes as well. Well um, I love coming and talking about PSO. Oh totally. PSO. Yeah. Well PSO, <laughs> yeah. 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 She'll be but happy to I'll be super happy. Good. Right. Good. Yeah. Happy to come talk about AI anytime. No, totally. Um, any other things that, that you're working on that you want to preview that are that are coming up that you're allowed to, right? Stuff that's not secretive or what do you you know what's going on now? Anything interesting? Uh, well, we're currently trying to push out as much documentation and code as possible Perfect. for this AI data hub that I mentioned, and right. so you'll be seeing a bunch of um, public code from on the Pure Code website. Okay, that's what I was also going to ask: where do folks go if they want to find out more? And Pure Code is a great place for that. Yeah, yeah. So we'll be doing making it really seamless for people to be able to, you know, use. Go ahead and just use our Docker image that we use to launch our. Jupyter notebooks okay. or use our YAMLs file um, that contain the config information. So just trying to make it really easy for people to try it out. Um, great plug um, for pure code and uh, great to know that's where every, everything goes. Anything else? Any other places you want? I, obviously, purestorage.com slash flashblade um, for people to get up to speed on flashblade. But uh, any other areas, any other things to plug? No, that sounds great. you have a blog? Great. You have a blog that you write? I do. I do. I write on Medium right now. Okay. And, um, and then syndicate over. Sometimes. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, I, we've been posting a bunch of um, content on the Pure blog as well for this, for the Data Hub. There's, I'm working on an eight-part series with my, oh my colleague gosh. I mentioned, Bakash, which is quite a lot of information. We should 
to bundle it somehow eventually, but we wanted it to be digestible and kind of modular yeah. for the way that you set up this, this data hub. So take a look on the Pure blog and maybe one of those eight different modules will appeal to you and your environment. If that's how many chunks are needed, then that's just fine. You know, that's all right. We cool. try to be high throughput at Flashblade. Awesome. Well, <laughs> that's a great one to end on. <laughs> I love it. Uh, thank you so much for, for coming on. This was a blast and I will be calling you to come it do was. this again. Thank you for having me. Because um, you're, you're a delight. So um, thanks for that. And thanks everybody for listening to the Pure Report. Please tell a colleague, tell a friend and keep sending the feedback in and we'll continue to deliver uh, fantastic guests like Emily here today. Um, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Emily Watkins. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back. Something might be gaining on you. Cheers. Bye.